Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet featuring articles on writing, the writing life, and also video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres, all kinds of kinds of writers. This month on our current issue, we've got my conversation with Claudia Rowe, author of The Journalist and author of the fascinating kind of memoir, kind of half memoir called The Spider and the Fly about her her correspondence with a serial killer. Fascinating book. Fascinating book. Fascinating conversation. Check it out at authormagazine.org. And uh, we're funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Uh, PNWA does a lot of great stuff for people in the Northwest, particularly. But uh, one of the things they do is offer classes, and I will be teaching a class through the PNWA starting March 3rd. It'll be a five-week personal essay class. Personal essay, kind of a sweet spot for me. If you want to find out about that class or learn about anything about the PNWA, go to pnwa.org. Should also mention that uh, I will be teaching a fearless half-day fearless writing workshop at Right on the River, February 24th in Wenatchee, Washington. Fearless writing. This is going to be a full-day workshop. I'm going to do half a day. Nick O'Connell is going to do half a day. The night before, we're going to do a little Q and A uh, over at Leavenworth. Fabulous little town near Wenatchee. Come check it out. It's right on the river, February 24th. So, oh, boy, you, cha- you, uh, you tuned in for a good one. If you have even a passing interest in mysteries, I'm sure you are familiar with our guest today. James Lee Burke uh, is a rare winner of two, count them, boys and girls, two Edgar Awards. He was named Grandmaster by the Mystery Writers of America and is the New York Times bestselling author of more than 30 novels and two collections of short stories, including The Tin Roof Blowdown, The Neon Rain, the In the Electric Mist with Confederate Dead, and his most recent, Robichaux. And I should say, before I bring him on, uh, I knew of James Lee Burke. I would not read his stuff yet. Uh, so Robichaux is the first of his books that I read, and I have to tell you, it was awesome. And if you're not familiar with his stuff, I highly recommend you pick it up, whether you read mystery or not. It's just great. And uh, with that, let's bring the man on himself. James, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me on. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, let me ask you, do you um, did you ever think... You would be named a grandmaster of anything in your life when you were a young man. Well, I, I guess I did try to make a living most of the time. Too busy worrying about bills. Yeah. But now you're a grandmaster. What do you think of that? Well, it's a great honor. And Graham Greene has received the same award and award. Oh, and uh, Sue Grafton and I were both recipients the same evening of the Grandmaster Award, and it was a great honor to be with Sue. And You know, she passed away just recently. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's a very, very fine person. Yeah. Well, you know, I was reading off just some of the books you've written, and you've been at this a long time, 
And I was thinking about this conversation before kind of leading up to it. And tell me if this resonates with you. Um, are you familiar with Alice Hoffman, the novelist Alice Hoffman? I, I haven't name read the uh, Yeah, I know the name, but I, I haven't read right, her well, work. Right. So she's a novelist. She's also, you know, she's published 25, 28 books, whatever it is. And she's had all kinds of wonderful, great career. Uh, and I interviewed her years ago, and she said something that stayed with me. And I wonder if this is true for you. I was, I was talking about, you know, she's been on Oprah a couple times and won all these awards, blah, blah, blah. All the great things that when a writer's flourishing happens. I said, what do you think? Because I had heard um, Meryl Streep once say, when she was talking about when she was in The Hours, that movie The Hours, I heard her interviewed, and she said, I can't believe people still me still want me in their movies. <laughs> this was Meryl Streep, right? Uh -huh. So I, for some reason I asked Alice Hoffman about that, and she said, I totally understand it. And this is what made me think of you. She said, every time I start a book, I feel like I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know how to write a book. Even though she's published 25 of them, even though she's, won, uh -huh. even though she's finished and finished. Does that make sense to you when you sit down to start a new novel? Well, I, I guess it depends on what the person means and uh, regarding the uncertainty of the project. I, everyone works differently. This has always been my experience, and it's never changed. I never okay. know if, after the first paragraph where the story is going. I have no idea at all, and it's the way it remains. I never see more than two scenes into the story. Wow. Wow. Okay, so you're one of those. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I don't write fiction anymore, but when I did write fiction, that's how I did it. But I didn't write mysteries. I did not write, and has that been the case since you were a wee pup? Have you always done well, it that way? there's not much mystery in my work. I, I mean, I appreciate the, 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 the title, um, you know, <laughs> the category of mystery, but yeah. all art leads us into a mystery in some form or yeah. another. Uh, if, if my work is has a categorical title, I think maybe uh, crime fiction would uh, <clears throat> seem more appropriate. But that, that's, yeah. that's not a real factor. Um, the issue is ultimately an unraveling of the great mysteries of the universe. That's what everything we do is about, ultimately, unless a person commits himself to a sybaritic you know, type of existence. Right. But the ultimate question is why and how and where. And it's not in terms of a plot. It's about the origin right. of the human family and what, what was the hand that shaped us? Who blew his breath into our chest? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because that was the experience I had reading this book. I said, okay, so they're calling this a mystery, but this, the mystery I felt, God, it's so funny you say that because it's just what I was thinking. I thought, I didn't know if I want to say this to him, but I thought the mystery I'm feeling in this book is why are we here? What, what is it to be human? That's what I felt like the overriding question was when I, I was uh, reading you, it. You're talking about the novel Robichaud? The novel Robichaud, because this is the first book of yes. yours I've read. And as soon uh -huh. as when I dove in, I was in you know a couple pages. I said, "Well, this is about what is it to be a human being." That's what it. That's what feels like the question kind of driving it for. There's all the other plot stuff, of course, but that's what I felt sort of pulsing through every page. Honestly, well, the story is narrated, as you know, by Dave Robichaud, who's a yeah. police officer in uh, my hometown, New Iberia, Louisiana. Um, but 
in literary terms, he's the everyman figure out of the right. medieval morality play. And the story he narrates may seem regional. Uh, in reality, it, it at least is, it's meant to be emblematic of a larger theme. It's supposed to be national in scope. In other words, yeah. uh, the series of Robichaud novels, uh, and I have another series based on my mother's family, the Holland family, they deal with neo-colonialism and manifest destiny. And perhaps the situation in which we find ourselves today, the Robichaud novel yeah. is about the rise of a demagogue. And the issue yeah. is not the demagogue, but the fact that the electorate reaches out for this man at a certain time in history and chooses him as one of their own. Steinbeck said that in his novel, The Grapes of Wrath. Men do not shape history. History reaches out and finds the man it needs for the particular moment. And oftentimes the choice is a very dark one because the man on horseback is always on the wings of the stage. Yeah. Uh, and so... I mean, I have to ask, um, when was this novel begun? Oh, Lordy, that's a good question. I don't, I've got a date written down there somewhere, but it was. I mean, roughly. In other words, has it been within it. the last two and a half years? Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that'd be safe yeah. to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because obviously we're dealing but, with a bit of that right now. It, we meet a guy, I'm sorry, excuse me, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, we are dealing with someone who's a bit like that right now. Well, the, the the book contains a character named Jimmy Nightingale. He's a very in, interesting yeah. guy. He's an intriguing person, and he's from the little town of Franklin, Louisiana, in St. Mary Parish, which is a, known for its feudal, um, as in middle age, yeah, middle age, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hierarchical yeah. kind of culture, and. Um, yeah. But Jimmy Nightingale is an antithetically mixed man. Dave Robichaud has always admired him. And he's yeah. a patrician, and he seems to have noblesse oblige. And, but yeah. nonetheless, uh, he's made an enormous amount of money in many enterprises, one of which is the casino industry. And as this kind of businessman, he well knows his constituency because he's been <laughs> soaking them for decades. Right. He knows how to inculcate fear and division and suspicion, xenophobia, misogyny, you name it, yeah. go down the whole list. He is a master at controlling large numbers of people who are dissatisfied with their lives to the degree that they'll roll the dice and say, what do I have to lose? In this right. case, the story, though, is about a man whose antecedents are three. One was Huey Long, who from, from yeah. Louisiana, yeah. Senator Joseph McCarthy, and the third yeah. one was George Wallace. They were all yeah. demigods. Oh. They all made use of the same tools. They, uh, but And they left their mark on history. It was not a good one. Yeah. Did you, you know, I I thought you r rendered Jimmy Nightingale beautifully and I guess compassionately, if that's, you know, because um, yeah. I couldn't have, I couldn't have, 
I wouldn't have believed him if you hadn't. I don't think. I'd like to think I'm. I have. I have a good nose for this stuff. And so, obviously, he's a tricky guy. Did you like writing him? I mean, did you enjoy oh, when yeah, you were? He's, yeah, he's one of the most interesting characters I've written about. And as yeah. I say, he's a very complex man, and he has a conscience. He was a geologist in South America, and this was what I describe here is based on a real uh, event. Um, the Indians there were firing poison darts at the drilling well, at the men up on the what's called the floor of the derrick. And yeah. the oil company responded by satchel bombing. They dropped satchel charges on an Indian village, and they killed many wow. people. That occurred yeah. in 1956. Wow. And, wow. Uh, he was one of the men who threw the satchel charge out of the single wing plane and he's still plagued by what he did he killed a number of innocent people but right. anyway he carries that uh, guilt with him and Dave keeps hoping for this man's redemption but unfortunately well I don't want to give too much away but right. Uh, right. I think he's an interesting guy and there's no addiction like power. I mean, I think it was Thomas <laughs> Jefferson that said that, didn't he? I, about, uh, boy, the, the, it's the ultimate opiate. Yeah. What it, someone said, was, there's a quote where power reveals character. Power reveals character. Character doesn't like yeah. attain, but you'll, your character will be revealed when you are given power. Yeah, I think we'll Jefferson said on, the only ones who master it are those who disdain it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's good. Well, all right. So, so you said I, I want to back up just a little bit um, because, and it, I, I guess it doesn't totally surprise me. You say you start your book and you have the first paragraph. You write that and. Um, but you don't really know. I mean, obviously, you know Dave Robichaux. I mean, you know your place. You know a bunch of the characters, but you don't know what the story is going to be. No, I don't even um, get that far. I appreciate what you say, what you said, but I, I don't know the characters. They're all waiting. This, this is waiting, how I yeah. think about it. Leonardo. I'm not comparing myself with Leonardo right. da Vinci. Yeah. But he made this wonderful statement. He said he did not carve the sculpture. Yeah. He released yeah. the figure from the stone. Yeah. And yeah. I think my father used to say that. He used to say that all art, all science, are the involve the incremental discovery of what already exists. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. I agree 100%. And, and it's kind of, it's a strange thing to say when I, so I teach a lot of writing and I talk about that element of it a lot, which is hard. I think for people who aren't creating art, at least, I think it's also involved, I think it certainly is in science and in business even, but in art, it's particularly true that that sense of discovering what already exists, because you're alone, you're all by yourself. Why aren't you the one making it? But that's really not an accurate description of what's happening. It's not you. You're not. You're not building it. William Faulkner, right before his death, I mean, he, you know, he was thrown from a horse, and he knew he was. This was it, and he right. said, "Had I not written the books, another hand would have written them for me." Oh, 
Wow. Do you feel like that? Sure. It's yeah. a gift. It comes yeah. from somewhere. Every artist knows that. Every artist, yeah. no matter what his faith is or his absence of faith might be, right. uh, will concede that. The, it comes from somewhere else. And the day yeah. that he takes credit for it is the day yeah. he will lose it. That's right. I Well, I, I, I think you can get it back. Cause I, I have occasionally taken credit for it, and then, like, the door closes. And I, I kind of say, oh, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And the door opens again for me. But the couple no, times I'm... I've taken credit for it, it just, the, wherever it came from, closes instantly. Oh, you don't need yeah. me anymore? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then it, But it's kind of hard. Do you, do you, does that do, do you have trouble talking to people who don't write about that element of it coming from somewhere else? Or have you gotten comfortable with that? People who don't write are not well. In other words, they worry about sounding like a a mystic, and all you're trying to do is describe what happens in a way. You know what I mean? I, I never talk about it except ah. to someone who's interested and who asks a question. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. no, no, no artist ever talks about his art. Unless Afraid you're going to spoil I mean, it's, it. It's almost sacramental. Everyone knows that. And that yeah. any person who starts using the personal pronouns, I, me, my, mine, and myself, is yeah. at the in the bottom of the ninth inning. He doesn't know it. But yeah. The yeah, ego it's... is the enemy of art. It's true. Do you know Andre Debuse? Have you met Andre? My f first cousin. We, we grew up together. That's right. That's, oh, that's where I was making the connection. Right, right. Because I know yeah. Andre. And, and so. No, there's he, Andre. There's little Andre. That's Andre. The little Andre is, is the one I know. I didn't know his father. Yeah. His father was, uh, um, you know, passed Andre. away. Uh, yeah. Lord, he's yeah. almost 15 years, I think, now. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, he was. Andre the second was perhaps the best short story writer we ever produced and his son I always call him little Andre always 50, <laughs> 58 years old now but uh, he is an enormous talent I think he's one of the most talented writers working today yeah I love his work my he's a great daughter Ella Fairbrook's had... not bad she, you know her new novel just came out Ella Fairbrook yeah. yeah this is your daughter right yeah it's our little girl She's published. Oh, so she following your footsteps now. Did you did you like say don't do this, <laughs> don't do it if you unless no, you have to? Or it, it? How did that go? Having someone, your daughter, trying to sort of do the same sort of thing you do? How's that been? She's been writing since the first first grade. She ah, wrote her right. first stories uh, when she was just uh, seven years old, and she was reading Cool Hand Luke when she was five. She has an what? IQ that's unmeasurable. That's right. What? That's it. Wow. Her mother's a very yep. intelligent woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's all the mom. Uh, now, so what's the book's title again? The Wife. It's a great book. The Wife, book. right. She wrote this um, book before... Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, she. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> she wrote this novel before... The sexual harassments. Yeah. Yeah. The the story began the scandal involving the 
movie producer, and I, I didn't, I don't mean to use his name. Uh, right. But before that occurred, she had already completed her novel, and it deals wow. with sexual harassment and the culture of misogyny that produced all this suffering and and thousands and thousands of uh, lives and you know, women who were yeah. on their own and were unbelieved. And, but it's a great yeah. book. And it, wow, well, that's awesome. Great timing, but maybe. Well, I don't want to say. Sometimes things. Sometimes what seem like coincidence maybe are something else. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, I was saying that Andre. I was talking to him about. I guess after he published his memoir. Um, Townie, which is excellent, I think, talks a lot yeah. about his relationship with his dad. Um, right. He was saying that, that, that he said, I'll always refer to this, he said, just get out of the way, dear author. <laughs> just get out of the way. And I, that's how it feels like to me. That I have, if I can get out of the way, my little self, I guess, maybe that's my ego that needs to get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Does that make sense to you? Well, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I, I, I say everyone works differently. I, yeah. Uh, Robert Frost used a term I never forgot. He said a writer has a lover's quarrel with the world. Huh. What does that mean to you? you exactly what but. he said. Yeah. He's in love with the world, but not with the injustice in it. But. Uh, what was his poem? But as uh, the birches, the, the birches, and he talked about what better place for love than the earth? Right. Did did, did you um? Speaking of love, I, did something I I don't know. Maybe you can't talk about this, but one of the things I liked I, when I started reading the book again, I was unfamiliar with your work, and I was drawn into it very quickly. And I was drawn into it, I think because of the voice. But what I noticed is, and it's not easy to do, I don't think, but, um, you know, there are a bunch of, there's some tough people who are leading some rather tough lives in this story. But I thought you brought in a kind of, and the only word I can think of is kind of lyricism to it from time to time. And I think what I liked about it was it was, it didn't stick out. Amongst, because there was a lot of you have you have to move the story along, which you do very effectively, I thought. But when the lyricism came in, it didn't. It was all a part of it. Does that make sense? It's not easy to do, I don't think. Well, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I appreciate the the compliment. uh, The fact that there maybe is a lyrical element, but. It it depends on one style. Prose style is something that evolves in a writer's career, and we we look at who 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 did it best before we came along. And I believe biggest influence, at least on my stylistic development, was F. Scott Fitzgerald. He was he remains the most lyrical writer in American fiction. And I think he was influenced heavily by the metaphysical poets. And you see, it was during the 1920s that T.S. Eliot rediscovered... 
rediscovered the metaphysical imagery of John Donne and Andrew Marvell. Yeah. And I think yeah. that same influence had its way with Fitzgerald. But, you know, the, his greatest work, The Great Gatsby, uh, was still in boxes in a warehouse in 1940 when he died. The book came out in what, yeah. 1926 or 7. In other yeah. words, it was considered a failure, but it's one yeah. of the probably the best books in the English language, best novels in the English language. Yeah. But it's a poem from the first line to the end. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a beautiful book. I think he sold seven copies the year he, the year he died, and he bought five of them. I think was the the the, 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 really? the total. Yeah. Jeez. And then it some then it got uh. it then it had its rebirth, you know. Um, uh-huh. In fact, I was reading reviews. I don't know if I, 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 I don't like to read reviews, um, but for some reason I stumbled on a review of The Great Gatsby and it wasn't good. And I just thought, <laughs> nobody knows. Um, so I was back from like Time Magazine from like 1927 and it was, you know, he just slammed it for whatever reason, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, but that's how it goes. That's how it goes. My wife, I thought she's my wife's a writer too, and she said her best description of a review. I don't know if this makes sense to you, but she said a review is just a description of an experience somebody had. It's not, well, you know, the the word of God. Obviously, Does that well, make sense. Well, George Wallace's most famous statement, or the one I always always remember, when every newspaper. In the country, I'm not lauding George Wallace, but when right. every newspaper in the country condemned him for the racist he was or the racist he right. became, his answer right. was, "That was one man's opinion." <laughs> <laughs> well, he knew how to survive, didn't he? Somebody, but the point is. Hemingway, George Wallace was a tragic man. Actually, you see, he feigned the role of racist, but he paid a terrible price for it himself. You know, he died and yeah. he was shot by the same kinds of people I, whom I'm he sorry. tried to empower. Uh, more importantly, Hemingway said something about criticism. Or uh, He said, if you believe them when they say you're good, you have to yeah. believe them when they say you're bad. It's Exactly. It mean that you ignore those who who recognize what's good in your work. But this has been my experience that most journalists, and I used to be one, uh, are people with a good heart and they do the best job they can. And that's true of reviewers as well. There may be yeah. 5% out there that have an agenda and you ignore them. But you right. never let naysayers have an influence on your career. Far more people will discourage than encourage you as a writer. Was that true for you? Oh, you, you bet. It is for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. It's a long, it's a long go. My novel, The Lost Get Back Boogie, was under submission nine years. I was out of print in the middle of my career for 13 years. That book wow. received 111 rejections, and it was nominated for a Pulitzer after it was published. <laughs> that's a fact. Wow. It's a, it, that's a, 
a record in New York. Everyone acknowledges it was not just rejected. It was flung at me with a catapult. Wow. <laughs> All right. So tell it me, oh, even though we're getting to the end it. of our conversation. So okay. tell me, how did you get through that? Talk to me about the, I mean, if you can, just a little bit, because that's you never rough. Quit. That's, you never you just quit. didn't quit. You never quit. You must have had you a dark quit. night of the soul. Sir? You must have had a. You must have had a couple nights where you thought, what the hell? No, what? I did not. That's not correct. No. Let, 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 me, let me explain something. Okay. Okay. This is how it works. You either commit, you make your troth with whatever power you believe in. You make it, right. you make it once, you never look back. From when I was 20 years old working offshore, I worked 10 days on the water, five days off, sent all my manuscripts in the mail to various magazines. The rejection slips were in my P.O. box when I got back on land again. I had made a rule for myself. No manuscript stays at home longer than 36 hours. And I've pretty wow. much kept that rule all these years. And it's been 61 years. Wow. And that's the, how and you that, do it. That just, and you never that, and quit. So even, during those 12, even during those 12 Let years, the world same rule. break its fist on your face. You never give in. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. Well, that is awesome. What a good place to wrap this up. James, thank you so much. The book, as I said, is Robichaux, the latest of many. If you haven't read that, go back and read them all. They're probably still around, at least in ebook. Uh, uh, good luck with this, and uh, have you already begun the next? Uh, yes, sir. I'm writing a sequel now titled Ball and Chain. Mama, Excellent. Big Mama Excellent. Thornton's signature song. <laughs> Janis Joplin. Excellent. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a real treat. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's an honor to be with you all. All right. I appreciate it. Take it easy. Nice to talk to you. Okay. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, some good advice, people. Good advice. Make your choice and stick with it. Make your choice and stick with it. I will be back next week talking to Kit Bach. Until then, go find something you really love to do and just do it and do it. Do it and do it.